It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul's taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Texts and WhatsApps also available at 086 103 103. But I want to start with a story that has been running all morning uh, from our news department, and this is to do with Gardaí. They're following a definite line of inquiry after juvenile skeletal remains were discovered in East Cork, Middleton. Uh, Gardaí are looking into the circumstances of this discovery and our news reporter Mairead Tuig joins me this morning. Good morning to you Mairead. Good morning Patricia. Uh, and, and you're welcome to the programme. Now just to tell us what we know so far, when and how were these remains discovered? So the discovery was made in Killa and my understanding is that it was last week. So Friday is what is being reported that uh, the the remains of a juvenile skeletal remains were discovered. And it was made following receipt of confidential information. Uh, so somebody, you know, came forward to Gardaí with this confidential information and it, and it started this investigation. And Gardaí have told us that they are following a definite line of inquiry. And um, they told us that the remains, they were removed to the Morgan Cork City and they've been seeking the the assistance of a forensic anthropologist. So this is all part of the investigation and they want to establish, I suppose, the the bigger picture as to to how uh, these skeletal remains uh, came to be in in this area where they were found and and what led to to this and I suppose all of the circumstances surrounding surrounding this discovery. Now, they're going to uh, do a post-mortem I've no uh, date or I don't know when that's going to take place, but they are planning to do a post-mortem examination and they're telling us that the results of this is going to direct the course of the Garda investigation. And there's no public appeals by the Garda for, for information or for anybody knows anything about these remains. And that in itself is slightly unusual, isn't it? It is, and, and what we've been told is that there's no Garda spokesperson available at this time. Now, whether that means that in time that there is going to be a new statement from the Gardaí or if a spokesperson will become available. But for now, what they're telling us is that they are following a definite line of inquiry and they're, they're not, they haven't um, sought witnesses um, as of yet. And I suppose once they have their post-mortem examination done and once this forensic anthropologist comes in and, and does their work, that could change in time, but I suppose for now they're trying to establish, um, the I suppose the bigger picture as as to what happened here, and and I'm sure we will in time be hearing more from the Gardaí on this yeah, investigation. Yeah, and, and I know you're reporting it as juvenile 
um, skeletal remains but I saw in some of the papers this morning that they're saying it's the remains of a baby but has any of that been confirmed as to what it's age they think? You're mm. saying for now it is juvenile, juvenile. Um, okay. I, I see where that I saw that as well about the infant remains but from what we've been told by the Gardaí that it is juvenile as skeletal remains. Okay so no update until at least there is the results of a post-mortem. Absolutely, and that will direct the investigation. And I suppose it's going to help the Gardaí to to come to a an understanding of, of what happened here. You know. Yeah, yeah. It, it 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 sounds like it's going to be one of those very sad stories, perhaps from many years ago. But only time will tell. Listen, Mairead, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And, uh, Take thanks care. Uh, for joining us. That is our news reporter, Mairead uh, Tuig. And it isn't often that I get to speak to Mairead or indeed anyone uh, in connection with a forensic anthropologist. And if you're wondering what a forensic anthropologist is, uh, what it is, that they're experts in the analysis of hard tissues, such as bones, and in the analysis and the interpretation of the circumstances in which they were found are uh, discovered. Because, of course, we've no way of knowing how long these remains at war uh, there but uh, the remains of a juvenile possibly a, a baby we will keep you updated if any more breaks on that particular story 0818 103 103 John Paul uh, taking your calls this morning and just to do a follow up yesterday when we spent a lot of time analysing Tuesday's budget and there was various questions and queries came in and people wondering about some aspect of the budget and how it was going to affect them and I said I'd do my best yesterday afternoon to try to find out any additional information that I could particularly to do with queries that had come in and one of the queries that came in yesterday was to do with the new tax credit on rent. This is the one that's going to be valued at 500 euro a year 500 euro this year and indeed next year and it was introduced in the budget on Tuesday and we had a call in from a mother whose daughter is a third level student and it's the family that are paying the rent her daughter uh, is doing quite a complicated course and hasn't got any sort of a part time job and they were wondering as a family they're paying her rent where she goes to college and would they be able to claim the benefit through both herself and her husband are working and it seems that that has now been ruled out so if you are a parent and you do pay your student child's accommodation which in most cases it is the parents that are paying it you can't benefit from the new rental tax relief so that is not going to come as good news and and many parents yesterday when they discovered this uh, were really really quite annoyed uh, about it because they they are paying this rent, you know, and as one parent put it, does our rent not count? Now, if the students themselves are working, then obviously they're paying tax, they could claim it back. But if they're not working, and many students don't work, not through choice because of the courses that they are doing. So that's going to be a little bit of a disappointment. And another development that emerged yesterday is to do if a person is renting a room in a house. And there's many, many people who are in a house share where the landlord owns the house and the landlord then will be living in the house but will rent out, you know, one or two rooms to help cover the cost of the uh, rent. Um, And of course those houses won't be registered with the Residential Tenancy Board and we know for anybody to claim this, if you're renting a property, you have to the house has to be registered with the Residential Property Board and of course as we mentioned yesterday uh, this new 
tax credit is going to unearth unregistered landlords because their details will then be brought forward to uh, revenue and it is going to cause complications for some landlords but if you're renting out uh, if you're renting a room in a house you can still avail of this particular uh, tax but the landlord who's renting you out at uh, the room of course they don't have to be registered with the residential uh, property board because they're allowed to rent out a room and they can make up to 14,000 euro a year without paying tax on it but it now seems under this new arrangement that la- that person who owns that home who's renting out rooms will have to inform revenue of the arrangement and that is the first time that that has actually uh, happened and this new tax credit won't come into effect until next year but the government have said the provision will be made so that it can be claimed in respect of rent paid this year but the, the person renting is not going to get the money until next year. The measure is aimed by the way at those who do not get any other housing supports because somebody was saying yesterday would somebody unhappy able to claim it? No. The idea is if you're getting the housing assistance uh, payment then you're already getting housing support so it's for people who, who have not been and there's a lot of people not entitled to HAP. I heard the Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue uh, reckoning that there's about 400,000 people who are expected to benefit from this particular uh, tax uh, credit Um, and I don't even know how he's coming up with that figure but they they reckon a lot of people who are not getting a HAP scheme uh, certainly will benefit uh, from it and the Housing Minister Darrow Darrow O'Brien said the workings of the credit will be made clear in the Finance Bill so that the the devil is still going to be in the detail. We have to wait for the finance bill uh, to be published. But he did say that the first payment of the tax credit was likely to be paid next year. And again, that was one of the criticisms and a number of what was mentioned during the budget on Tuesday. People reckon they need the help now and asking them to wait until next year. People are really struggling now, but that's certainly one of the ones that's not going to be paid out until next year. And then we had a farmer who contacted us who's got very high electricity bills and was saying that there wasn't a lot in the budget for farmers but in particular it was a dairy farmer contacted us yesterday and was wondering would there be any supports with helping with the electricity costs and I, I mentioned at the time uh, that there, there certainly uh, has been announcements for businesses and a farm is a business that surely they'd come in under that and that's been confirmed that farmers will get supports similar to the small business ones that I spoke about uh, yesterday to try to help them cope with their energy uh, costs this winter the measure will compensate farmers based on energy usage and it'll be part of the business energy support scheme. Now, as with any other business, it's subject to a €10,000 monthly cap for each farmer. Farmers will be able to claim, as indeed businesses will, up to 40% of the increase in their energy bills as long as those bills have jumped by more than 50% over the past year. It'll run between this month and at least the end of February and it'll be paid on the basis of how energy prices over that period compare between this year and last year and it is going to be implemented by the revenue commissioners. Now, it's for for high energy users whose bills have absolutely gone through uh, the roof, 
it's still only going to be 40% over what they paid last year. They're still going to have to pay what they paid last year and a 60% increase. It's still going to push a lot of businesses and farmers to the pin of their collars. And of course, it was interesting that it was, it was a dairy farmer who contacted us yesterday because they are especially affected by steep rises in the cost of electricity because, of course, their milking parlours are particularly energy intensive. And that, and that and another farmer was saying there wasn't a lot for farmers. The overall budget for the Department of Agriculture goes to two. 0.14 billion next year. The increase uh, this year over next year, it's an extra 283 million euro. What was contained for farmers, there's an accelerated capital allowance for the building of modern slurry facilities. That's been included in the budget. And then to help farmers deal with high fertiliser prices, there's an enhanced multi-special sward slash red clover scheme. Now I'm assuming people in agriculture will know what that is. It's seemingly designed to incentivise farmers to diversify the types of grass they, they grow. That was announced in the budget. There will also be a new €8 million Euro grant aid scheme to support the spreading of lime and that enhances grass growth and makes artificial fertiliser more uh, efficient. And a new fodder support scheme uh, will also pay farmers up to a thousand euro to save hay and uh, fodder. They were some of the items, not a lot for farming, but they were some of the items that were announced. And then the hospitality and hotel sector, they were certainly one group who were not too pleased with the budget. In particular, they their lower rate of that, they wanted that to be extended. And of course, when it was announced that it's not going to be extended, the hotels and hospitality sector really, really annoyed. Well, the Tornista and because Tornista is also the Minister for Business, Leo Varadkar, he yesterday was speaking after the budget and he has left the door open for the possible retention of the tourism sector's special 9% VAT raise. Now, that's despite the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, saying in his budget speech that that 9% will revert as planned back to 13.5% at the end of next February. Tourism industry representatives say they will continue to push for the extension of the lower rate after the the government resisted a really fierce industry lobbying campaign in recent weeks in ahead ahead of the budget. But Pascal Donoghue had hinted in recent weeks that he wasn't prepared to extend the 9% rate and he had cited accusations of profiteering by some hotels, particularly hotels that charged very, very high prices to consumers over the summer and Pascal Donoghue was not happy with that. But speaking after the budget at a press conference the, at the Department of Enterprise, the Thornish City of Radker said the 9% tourism rate was one of several lower taxes and he included like alongside reduced fuel exercise and VAT on gas and electricity and they're all due to revert to the higher rates in the coming months but he said it is the decision of the government that they will go back up in March but he then added a but and said we will have to review the situation before then and see how we're doing in terms of public finances, in terms of 
the economy and also in terms of employment. And the Tourism Industry Confederation, which is the sector's main lobby group, they say it was a significant disappointment that the 9% VAT measure wasn't extended in the budget. And I know whenever we mention it here on the programme, we will get calls and texts and emails in from people. A lot of people don't have a lot of sympathy for hotels, for hotels in particular, with many saying that and agreeing with Pascal Donoghue that there was a lot of profiteering by some, not all hotels, but by some hotels. But of course, the argument that rural hotels were put forward will say that a lot of that price gouging that went on, went on particularly in, in Dublin and in larger cities, larger urban areas, and that the rural hotels shouldn't suffer because of what happened in the city areas. Anne has contacted us uh, wondering if we could find out from Cork GAA what the policy is on cash payments at the gates of senior football club matches. She knows of some supporters who do not make purchases online and are potentially now marginalised from the matches that they have enjoyed for years and years and years unless they have a family member or a friend who can purchase the tickets online because this is when the GAA stopped buying your tickets when you went to the gate and instead encouraging people to buy their tickets online so you've got your tickets pre-purchased before you actually get to the match and of course we have heard of people turning up at the gates not realising that this was the new system and then people not having the facility uh, to go online and people missing out on matches and predominantly it was a lot of older people who were really really upset when they they contacted us anyway we got on to uh, Cork GAA and they say that while they are still encouraging all all patrons to pre-purchase their tickets. There is a tap card facility available. Now, that's a Porky Cueve only. So if you're going to Porky Cueve, which is, you're still going to have to have a card with you to tap, they're still not taking cash, but that might facilitate some uh, people. But they also say to us, if it's a more local match, that club secretaries are now in a position to download and sell tickets to their members in advance of championship games, especially they're accepting that there are a small number of people who may have difficulty purchasing tickets online so that what they're suggesting to people if you know you're going to a match and you're not able to go online and you've nobody to go online for you to purchase the ticket if you contact the, your club secretary they will be able to sort you out and you'll be able to give them cash and they'll be able to get your ticket uh, for you so they are aware that there are a small, small number of people who have been affected by this and they're doing their best to try to help people out 0818 103 103 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie This week's budget contained very little announcements that had not been leaked by government departments in the previous weeks. One item did take a number of people by surprise and that was the introduction of this 10% levy on concrete blocks. To discuss what it will mean to people building homes. I'm joined by Conor O'Connell who is Director of Housing and Planning at the Construction Industry Federation. Good morning to you, Conor. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, How are you? I'm very well and, and you're welcome to the programme. Firstly, had your industry heard any rumours about this levy in advance of Tuesday's budget? None in the run-up to the budget. Um, unfortunately, there was no consultation in relation to the cost impacts of this on the consumer. Um, it was mentioned in Housing for All when it was published but that was before the exceptional material cost increases over the last 18 months. So it took everyone by surprise, Patricia. And do we know for sure that the money will be ring-fenced to offset some of the costs of the micro-redress micro scheme? 
Yeah, we understand that that's the intention of it. Uh, it's an 80 million euro fund. That's what the estimate it will take in. But unfortunately, it's uh, it's a levy not on the construction industry, it's a levy on the consumer, those that are building their own homes, extending their own homes or buying their own homes. Uh, it's a significant uh, cost increase. So break it down in, in the old-fashioned pounds, shillings and pence. What, what will it mean to somebody building a new home or indeed just putting on an extension? Um, it really does depend on the size of the house, um, the, you know, the topography, uh, how much footpath is needed, boundary walls. Um, but we estimate, look, anywhere between €2,000 up to €4,000. The Society of Charter Surveyors have said that is going to increase costs for a typical three-bed semi-detached, 1,100 square foot of approximately three to €4,000. Um, so they're the professional quantity surveyors, so it's very hard to argue with their, with their costs. And of course, it's, it won't just be for people building their homes. This will be across all infrastructure projects, won't it? Absolutely. Um, one of the puzzling aspects of this is that uh, the remediation costs for the micro are going to increase as a result of this. Um, so it's very puzzling that you'd increase a concrete levy that would actually increase the cost of what you're trying to remediate. Now, rising inflation, Connor, on building materials is already an issue. Could this additional cost not have come at a worse time? Exactly. There's a lot of costs that are outside our control. Um, it's been a really has been an exceptional period. Um, you know, look, first of all, we had Brexit, then we had COVID and the COVID shutdowns, and then we had the war in Ukraine. And each of those, you know, factors outside of our control uh, have you know, placed significant disruption in the price chains into the house building industry and resulted in significant increased costs. Um, you know, concrete alone since February 2021 has increased by 30%. And this is a further 10% increase on a product that is increasing in cost very significantly. A lot of those costs are outside of our control, but this levy is within our control. So why would we increase the cost of reducing housing at a time when uh, we desperately need more housing. Yeah, and the, the MICA redress scheme is expected to cost the government, I think it's somewhere in the region of £2.7 uh, billion. Have they put a figure on how much will be raised by this levy? £80 million per year. £80 million. All right. So it'll be around for a good number of years then? It is. That's the expectation. It'll be around for a number of years. One of the points we make in relation to... Um, you know, paying for the remediation costs associated with a faulty product that was deployed into the construction industry is that if you look at the housing output over the last number of years, we've increased from 21,000 last year up to 25, 26,000 this year. Uh, There's an awful lot of taxes, levies and charges associated with, you know, producing a house. It's been estimated by ourselves and many others that 50% of the cost of constructing a unit goes back to the state and various taxes, charges and levies uh, and surely the increased output uh, that's been delivered by the industry over the last uh, 12 months, some of that could have been ringed to cover the costs associated with that re- uh, remediation scheme. 
yeah, and I was reading in, in the papers uh, this morning, I mean, and certainly I was listening uh, yesterday, I mean, there's a, a lot of certainly backbench government TDs are just not happy uh, with this. And uh, I was reading in one of the papers today that uh, Leo Varadkar, the Taunista, has already uh, hinted uh, to his party that there may be uh, changes. Some backbench TDs are saying, you know, either revisit or post, even postpone it. Look, we absolutely um, support that. Uh, we feel that a regulatory impact assessment at the very least needs to be conducted in relation to this levy and our an economic impact assessment conducted in relation to how this affects the price of housing for the consumer. But it just, in our opinion, has to be revisited. Okay, it's one of those ones. It's, it's, I think watch this uh, space, and then on a more positive uh, story from the bu- uh, from the budget. Uh, I'm assuming you welcome the retention of the home to buy scheme. Absolutely, and you know we don't always want to be negative. There's a lot of positives in the budget in terms of extra spending for infrastructure, for Irish water to service on land, and um, you know the help to buy scheme is a really. Um, big help to the consumer trying to purchase new homes. So there's a lot of positives in it, Patricia, as well. You do, can we expect to see more social and affordable houses built? Absolutely. There's yeah. extra allocations for those as well and there's new affordable housing schemes. Um, look, we're very new in this country in terms of uh, affordable housing and how we advance it. But certainly from what we see, there's more and more proposals coming out and we really welcome all of that. And is it still a problem within your industry getting workers? It is. It's a challenge. There's no doubt about that. Um, Over the last number of years, um, we face significant challenges. But what we are finding is that there's more and more interest. Uh, I think the message is getting out there that no matter what happens, we in the macroeconomic context, we've had we have 900,000 more people living in Ireland than we have in 2006. And if you think about it, from 2006 for what six, seven years, we were in the midst of a a really exceptional recession. And we are going to need to provide more homes for more people. We're going to need to build more schools. We're going to need to build a lot more than we have been. So it's an industry with very good prospects. And I think that message is getting through. Yeah, so 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 that's also why uh, increasing the cost to uh, to people building houses really just couldn't come at a worse time when we have this housing crisis. Listen, Connor, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Good Bye. morning to you. Connor O'Connell there, Director of Housing and Planning at the Construction Industry uh, Federation on that uh, levy that caused surprise to so many people because as I said at the outset it was possibly the only thing that wasn't leaked from the uh, from the budget in advance but certainly reading the papers and listening yesterday there are a lot of backbench TDs who are very very annoyed about this particular levy and feel it's coming at the wrong time and that it either needs to be revisited or at least postponed until things settle down a little bit and costs go somewhere back to being more normal 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 
Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. As we've been reporting all morning on our news service, the county mayor, Councillor Danny Collins, is cross with the ESB for taking on works today that is leaving nearly 1,700 customers in Bantry without power. The county mayor, Councillor Danny Collins, joins me. Good morning to you, Danny. Good morning. Uh, and, 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 and you're welcome. Firstly, how much notice was given to businesses and householders about this planned outage? Basically, um, the news broke last Thursday and Friday, really. Um, businesses and um, residents got um, cards in the post stating that the, the electricity will be off today between 9 to 5. But the funny thing about this, these um, cards were dated, on the, the, dated back at the 28th of July, so basically the ESB had these printed and then only gave most we say a week beforehand. Yeah, a week's notice certainly for the business community really isn't a lot of time. Now I do know that the ESB networks are saying that the works are essential to ensure continuity of supply. They're saying that this job has to be done. I do accept that. Um but um, I spoke to different um executives of, of the ESB and much of them I do accept these works have to be done, but like what I've asked him all along, could these works be carried out on a Sunday? Um, a similar um, uh, thing happened about, we'd say, I'd say it's about seven, eight years ago here in Battery. And um, at the time, the works were carried out on a Sunday. It didn't affect, we'd say, three quarters of the businesses, you know, that are closed today. Um, as they, they wouldn't be open on a Sunday, we'd say, like the hairdressers, dentists, um, accountants. Um, like I know, like I'm a business person myself, and how it did affect me at the time. But look, I, I'm, I'm representing the people, and I, they, they come first to me. Yeah, less people would be affected by a Sunday outage than than certainly a a, a midweek one. Um, and is that literally what's happened? A lot of businesses simply are not open today in Bantry. A lot of businesses in town, um, um particular are closed today. My, myself for one, but. I, I know of um, an accountancy office, I know of a dentist, I know of hairdressers, um, restaurants. Like, they just kind of, like, you know, if you need electricity, it's a basic need at the moment. So, like, they, they couldn't open the doors. I spoke to one um, electrician here today, and I saw with a, uh, he was going to a, a local chemist with a generator. And I said, I turned around to him, I said, have you one spare one for me? He said, we heard one to be got in batteries. Yeah, with it, well, you see, and only giving a week's notice, it, it, it'll be really hard to get uh, enough generators. And I mean, people like dentists and, and hairdressers, they would already have had appointments on their books. One hairdresser here in town, she has a number of appointments for tomorrow for, for weddings. And like she says, tomorrow morning, she doesn't know whether she's going to have to, I'd say, open at five o'clock in the morning to, 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 to fulfill these um, appointments like this. She could not open it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I take it business, the business community, not only disappointed but very annoyed by this. Very annoyed. Um, to be quite honest, the amount of phone calls I've got over the past um, week, and to be quite honest, they, like they think like Cork County Council is running DSB as I stated, but got I did make representation. I know, um, like the Collins TD did make representation, and like it's just keep um, falling on, on on deaf ears at the end of the day, like. Um, ESB announced there about a month ago 
six weeks ago that they were 357 million in profits and like you know that they couldn't pay their staff the overtime the work on a Sunday it's like it's the two figures of the, their customers rather than discommode so yeah. so many people and it's 9am until 5pm that's a long outage it's it's not it's not even a half day it's not a very long outage because like even one um, business said to me would it be back before 5 o'clock I asked that question and they said very highly unlikely this is, I do know look I, our ESB I'm not blaming the workers on the ground they do great work and they be out during storms different times but it's, it's just this is coming from head office I believe and like you know, they weren't taken on. I, 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 like, I spoke to one retired ESB worker. He says, in our day, he says, we'd grab at it if we thought there was overtime going. And I, I believe the workers today would do the same. Well, and you make a valid point. When we have storms, they're out at all hours of the day and night to get people back connected. So it's not that this is a group of workers that are averse to working on a Sunday. They're not. They've, re- they, you know, there have been times in the past where they've been forced to work on a Saturday or Sunday or late at night. Yeah. Much more like we've seen them there, like, you know, the fabulous work the workers do, like, you know, going out of all kinds of weather, like, and like, the, the, really nearly putting their lives, lives at, at risk, like, with them. Um, they, they do it for the people and they love their jobs and I thank them for that but still this is coming down from top office I believe and they've made the decision that these workers are not going to get the overtime. Yeah it isn't it certainly isn't the workers choice. I'm just wondering Danny is it affecting schools in the area and crashes? Um, certain schools yeah certain schools are closing in, in Bedford here today there's um, there, the line is on in, in one school here um, I know of um, the bike school here in St. Finbar's but um, it is affecting other schools that we say the Calvert and, and um, the, the Arts School Public. And it'll affect creches, I'm assuming. Some creches will have to have closed. Everything across the board. Everything across the board. Like, you know, if you need electricity, whether it's for lighting or heating, and like, you know, it's just every business, we say restaurants, hairdressers, as we stated, like, they're, they're shut today. Like, uh, like, there's a couple of restaurants have re- had opened because they got maybe a generator in. The generator we got in town. Yeah, and I'm just thinking that with uh, schools or creches closing, the knock-on effect there are for working parents who might not be working in Bantry, could be working somewhere else. They're going to have to arrange childcare, or either they're going to have to take a day off work. It's a massive knock-on, like for, yeah. for parents who stay there. Like, like you know, it's just down the line. It's just like it's people. I don't think they thought of this um, DSB. Um, executive budget they didn't take this properly and like you know at least have do the works on a Sunday and it'll be less less um, you know much less effective Yeah somebody's uh, saying could you ask uh, Danny what about the hospital and nursing homes are they all okay? The hospital and nursing home, yes, they're, they're okay. They're okay. All right, on a different line, obviously. Okay, well, that, that is good to hear. Anyway, very disappointing news, certainly for the business community in Bantry, but it's underway. So just to let people know, if you are travelling to a Bantry, to a business, you need to check in advance uh, to see if they are opened or not. Yeah. Listen, Danny, thank you for that, and thanks thank for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is the Mayor of uh, Cork County, Councillor Danny Collins, about that uh, planned outage 
by the ESB networks in Bantry today. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking calls. 0862 103 103. That's our WhatsApp and text number. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Premier League Live is back on C103.ie with Trevor Welch. It's happening this Saturday from midday, powered by Talk Sport. We'll bring you live coverage of Arsenal versus Spurs. That's at 12.30. Liverpool versus Brighton's at 3. And then West Ham are taking on Wolves. That's at the later time of 5.30. That's the Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. Listen Saturdays on the C103 app or you can go to c 103 I.e. Some of your thoughts coming in with regard to the 10% levy on concrete that was announced as part of uh, the budget this week. And as we know, the money is going to be used for the MICA redress scheme. Redress scheme. And I don't think there's anybody uh, who does not have sympathy for the people whose homes were built with those defective blocks and watching them on TV. They are just, it's heartbreaking to see people build, you know, their forever home and then before their eyes they are watching these homes crumbling away. So the the, the we know that the state are picking up the bill and it could be as much as four billion by the time all of the remedial works are completed. So to try to offset some of the cost, the government in the budget this week decided that they were going to introduce this 10% levy on uh, all concrete uh, materials. And as I say, you know, it was one of the things that wasn't leaked. Actually, I saw uh, it made me smile. Somebody sent in a when I was talking about the fact that it was one of the things that wasn't leaked in the budget on Tuesday. Somebody said a banana was left out of the shopping list with regard to that 10% levy. Now there is a big backlash at the moment particularly coming from coalition TDs themselves with some of your thoughts coming in. Pat Infomoy says if we don't have this levy we will all end up paying for the MICA redress scheme and we'll be paying it for years and years via our taxation. Pat says leave this 10% levy in place but he would suggest for new bills set it at a lower rate of 5% particularly if it's new bills for new homes as many people need new homes but remember it's going to affect all buildings and when I was speaking with Connor from the Construction Federation it, like it's not just new homes I mean I think people are focusing on the fact that it is going to be new homes because anything between three and four thousand is going to put on the cost of a typical uh, three bedroomed house which is what most people opt uh, to build but it will affect anybody putting on an extension anybody doing any kind of refurbishment work in their house that involves any kind of concrete uh, products but all of the other bigger infrastructure projects and it's going to affect so- the, the delivery of social houses and affordable uh, houses you know, it's just going to increase increase costs at a time when costs within the building industry have already gone up and are continuing to go up. It really could not come at a worse time. Dan in Ballinhasic uh, says the government were forced to bail out ICI insurance at the time they were a subsidiary of AIB. It was back in the 80s and to do this a levy was placed on all of our insurances. At the time it was said that the levy was only going to be temporary but we know of course as Dan and Ballin Hassig it wasn't temporary and that's going to be the same with this concrete levy. How long, I mean they haven't said how long it will remain in place and if it's going to bring in uh, is it 
uh, 80 million euro they reckon in the first year it looks like it's a levy that's going to be in place for many many years particularly with, with the government reckoning that the cost of the state for the remedial works when they're completed could be as much as 4 billion now I don't think they're saying that all the money is going to come from the levy but they're saying part, part of it will but will it be one of those levies that they introduce and they initially introduce it and say look it's a temporary measure and then of course the temporary measure becomes long term and it stays in place and whenever we think of something that was put in place as a temporary uh, measure the USC, the Universal Social Charge, which I think is one of those taxes that just drives people absolutely nuts. And I will remind you that the Universal Social Charge was introduced. We were at the height of our financial crisis. It first got spoken about in December of 20. 10. So that's uh, nearly 12 years ago. At the time, it was the late uh, Brian Lenham. Uh, he was the finance minister with uh, Fianna Fáil and he introduced it and it was to help to shore up at the time the huge hole in the public uh, finances. And at the time when it got mentioned, it amalgamated. At the time, there was two levies. There was an income levy and there was a health levy. So what they said was they get rid of the income levy and they get rid of the health levy and they'd put in this universal social uh, charge. But the USC, of course, is paid in addition to income tax and in addition to uh, PRSI but it brings in about 4 billion euro every year into the state so it was initially introduced because we were in a financial crisis they needed to shore up this huge hole in the public finances and at the time I remember doing interviews back in 2011 when it first came in uh, we were told at the time this was just going to be a temporary measure and uh, initially when they brought it in it was on all income. I think it was over 4,000 initially. Now that threshold has since been in- increased and it now stands that it's on all income over 13,000 euros. So a lot of people end up paying the uh, USC uh, charge and it's one of those ones that just annoys so many people. But as I say that certainly was brought in as a temporary measure and here we are uh, 12 years later and it is still there and people are still paying it on top of paying income tax and on top of paying uh, PRSI. So I know where you're coming from, Dan, when you say they introduce levies on on a temporary arrangement and say we need it to get money for X, Y and Z and then when that's all sorted out, it'll disappear. They never seem to disappear. 0818 103 103. And I mentioned when I was reading out the weather forecast this morning and I don't know if you were up early or not, but it was a a kind of a chilly morning this morning. But the good news is that we, we are told that the temperatures are going to rise as we go through the day but certainly this morning I was up I'm, I'm up quite early in the morning and I thought oh there was a, it was really chilly and I'm kind of fighting to not put on the heating in the morning until at least the 1st of October I always think I've been very successful if I can get through all of September without putting on the heating but this morning was one of the ones I was thinking oh do I really need to have the heating heating on and then when I came into work and I started going through the papers the front page of the examiner has a story that made me smile because I was thinking about how chilly it was uh, this morning that TDs and senators have been told that the heating in Leinster House will remain off until at least next week and it's a a bid to show leadership to the rest of the country on our energy crisis. So I'm wondering and the reason I mention it, would a lot of people have sympathy for our TDs and uh, senators and seemingly an email was circulated to all politicians yesterday and this was as a result of several inquiries from from politicians and uh, senators 
with one Fianna Fáil TD saying that they had noticed that TDs were wearing coats in the Dáil Chamber on Tuesday night on the night of the budget. So, obviously, queries went in then to say, why, why is the heating not on? Why is the building so cold? So an email from the Houses of the Oireachtas staff said, the heating will not be turned on until next week at the earliest. Now, a spokesperson said that heating is traditionally turned on on the 1st of October every year. And the 1st of October is Saturday. So that means when they come back in on Monday, the heating will be on. But a number of TDs uh, and Leinster House staff claim that the heating was always turned on when the doll returned after the summer break and the doll normally comes back around the middle of September. Now sometimes we can get gloriously warm Septembers but other times we can get chillier ones and certainly the last week or so has been quite chilly and the temperatures have suddenly taken a dip but they've been told now no Heating's not going on until next week. And the email said, in view of the government's climate action targets, the energy crisis and the national effort to reduce energy consumption and also to offset increases in energy costs, the heat will not be turned on until next Monday at the earliest. And they, the email said that it is important that the Oireachtas shows leadership in this. So they're all wearing warm coats and putting on extra layers and jumpers and they're doing their bit for climate action. I wonder was the Green, did the Green Party have anything to do with that? But they're doing things for climate action and for the energy crisis. Anybody out there having sympathy for the poor old TDs and senators and the rest of the staff at Leinster House who are feeling the chill in the air but they can't put the heating on until Monday. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 086 103103. C103 Jobs. Community employment schemes, they're available for a caretaker and a health promotion assistant. Now, it's at the Sexual Health Centre in Cork. Full training is to be provided. You can send CVs to supervisor at cccg.ie. Little Haven Play School, they're recruiting for an AIM Early Years Assistant. Now, it is for relief work. Minimum Level 5 qualification is essential. Email applications, please, to the committee, lhps at gmail.com. Fitters are needed for a well-known mechanical company that's based in Cork. Call 087-165-0527. And a sales assistant is required for a three-store in Bandon. Now, it's a temporary position to cover the next five months, 45 days per week, but it does include weekend work. CVs, please, to manager.bandon at 3three.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Patients in the North Cork area are the first to benefit from a pilot project testing whether ambulance patients could be treated at Mallow General Hospital instead of heading to one of the city's emergency departments. To talk about this new pilot project, I'm joined by uh, local Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Now, do we Thank know you. at this stage what criteria will be used to assess which patients could possibly go to Mallow Hospital first? 
Well, firstly, I, I welcome the fact that this pilot is taking place because anything that uh, ups the activity levels in my Mallow General Hospital is a good thing. Uh, and so my understanding, to answer your question, the criteria that they're laying down, as I understand it, based on the clarification that I saw yesterday, was that if somebody has already been an inpatient in Mallow General Hospital, uh, and if they are then discharged, and if within two weeks they require hospital care again or if an ambulance is called out, that there's a protocol put in place such that there's, as I understand it, and this is how it was described to me, that there is an engagement between the paramedics and uh, an on-call consultant to assess whether Mallow General Hospital would be the place to bring the person back to or whether they would go onward uh, to CUH. Uh, My understanding is that there's been a very small number of people involved uh, so far. I mean, it's in the the tens, I think, you know, if, uh, and so it's very, it's very early stages. Uh, but if we can develop a protocol that allows for more people uh, to be treated in Mallow General Hospital where an ambulance is called and preventing people from having to go to CUH to that accident and emergency, uh, you, you know, if it is appropriate to do so clinically, then I think it would be good uh, you know, for, for Mallow General Hospital. Would you like to see it extended beyond people who only for, because it's going to be very limited if it's just people who were inpatients within the last two weeks. Yeah, it, it is very limited. And I think they're probably, they've probably measured the risk profile of it. Uh, like I'm always a great believer that the, the more you empower ENTs and paramedics, uh, you know, the more discretion you could give them to make calls of that nature. But I look, such is the nature of, uh, medicine that, you know, there is that requirement, I, I imagine, for, uh, you know, a doctor or physician or consultant to make make a decision. But if you can create a culture uh, where, you know, you know, where you have the initial assessment by the paramedic, a, a further assessment then by a doctor or, or, or a GP, you know, consultant, hospital doctor, and, and then, you know, you, if you can get more people, for instance, who are requiring medical interventions as opposed to surgical interventions, yeah, yeah. then Mallow is an ideal place for that because you have that level of competency. You have the consultants in Mallow uh, to, to be able to deal with a, a, a very vast range of uh, you know medical issues. Yeah, because I mean, I was really thrilled when I heard about this pilot project because uh, the first thing that struck me was, I mean, if this is successful, it could take huge pressure off the emergency departments at uh, CUH and and the Mercy and only this morning the front page story by Sarah Horgan in the Echo is to do with Cork University Hospital facing unprecedented overcrowding yesterday with 88 patients on trolleys and they set a new record for the hospital yesterday. And and this is it. I, I, I could never understand why planning isn't coordinated around ensuring that Hospitals like Bantry, hospitals like Mallow would take more and more people because in the vast bulk of cases, and particularly as it relates to older people, where you don't have a trauma like a road traffic accident or, you know, a heart attack uh, or or stroke, you know, where where you do need to go into that what we call tertiary care facility that is CUH, there are many uh, presentations at hospitals which are repeat presentations. If you can develop protocols that keep people out of the accident and emergency and have a direct referral from hospital to hospital or from consultant to consultant, 
uh, onto the wards in places like Mallow, then you're taking, you're freeing up capacity uh, in the accident and emergency in Cork. And I was in the accident and emergency. I had to visit somebody uh, last week in CUH. And the, the, I, I saw it firsthand, the tremendous pressure that people are under. Uh, and you couldn't help but thinking, and I'm no expert, I'm no physician or, or medical, I don't have a medical background, but you couldn't help but wonder if people could be triaged in places like Mallow and then if they had to be referred back onto a ward in CUH where if, the, if it requires multidisciplinary medical intervention, so cardiology, you know, general medicine and all of that, then you could refer them back in directly to a ward rather than going through the accident and emergency. And hospitals like Mallow and Bantry, to my mind, present an excellent opportunity for taking out capacity out of Cork. And I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, percentages are, but I mean, there are people who end up at the A&E department who really don't need to be there at all. And that's it. And, you know, we, we've heard, like, why is it that presentations to uh, accident and emergencies take place at weekends? And, and some of the evidence would suggest that, uh, you know, through the perceived loss of services of out-of-hours GP care now, that people are skipping that process and going directly into the hospital network. So, again, if you work backwards from that, if out-of-hours GP services was working properly, if there was a sufficient number of GPs, you could, again, triage a lot of that and prevent people uh, from going into uh, the CUHs of this world. So, that then, of course, you have to talk about the supply of GPs then and the lack of supply and now the fact that more medical cards are going to be issued as well uh, you know, and that presents challenges but the bottom line here is how many accident and emergency presentations uh, at the weekend are entirely preventable where the numbers seem to spike uh, and, and what can you do to keep those people out and they don't seem to have cracked that nut yet and I don't understand why and we rely as politicians on, on medical expertise to be able to deal with these things. But common sense would tell me that the more that you can provide to hospitals like Mallow in terms of their capacity, the more you allow for greater capacity to be built out in, in CUH. And that's mm. the bottom line, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 100%. And that's why we end up with the you know, CUH yesterday setting a, a new record. Do we know how long will this pilot project run and how will it be judged successful? We, we do, I don't know for sure how long it will run, but I certainly will now be uh, keeping an eye on it because uh, what I will be watching is the numbers, the number of presentations. So how many people have left Mallow General Hospital, you know, they've been discharged. Uh, how many people have come back into that hospital, we'll say, via ambulance? Uh, and, you know, if the numbers are, you know, start to climb upwards, then, like what I'll certainly be advocating for, as we always do for Mallow General Hospital is, well, can we build out, you know, a, a new protocol or a better protocol that says, well, why not have Mallow General Hospital uh, you know, where it's medically appropriate uh, to be the first point of entry into the hospital system. Because remember, Mallow is networked into uh, the South-South-West Hospital Group. So the South-South-West Hospital Group, which includes, you know, Mercy, CUH, SIVUH, South Infirmary, Victoria, etc. Uh, all of those hospitals are supposed to be networked. So when a patient 
presents to the hospital network, the network should be able to determine fairly quickly where the person should go. And the more that activity that you can have, the less then you're reading story, the, the less likely it is that we have front page stories on the Echo where, you know, you have a crisis in A&E. Mm. Mm. And, and I'm assuming the fact that this is a pilot project, Sean, the hope is that if it is a success in Mallow General Hospital, and please God it will be, that it then gets rolled out to other Model, model 2 hospitals, isn't that what um, that, Mallow General is? That's my understanding. So, so each hospital has a category, so Mallow would be deemed to be uh, a two. I always call it a kind of a, it's, it's between a two and a three, uh, you know, because it, it does a, a lot of what we call medical uh, non-surgical uh, in- interventions for people uh, and it does that in very high volumes and that's where a lot of medicine takes place uh, but I always like we're always fighting for Mallow for services uh, we're always fighting for Mallow uh, to uh, and I think there's a final recognition now you know because the, the proof of that is the fact that we've secured capital funding for the, the new extension you know the 40 odd beds uh, and, and that's being built out as we speak. But there's a, a kind of a latent recognition where where hospital campaigners 40 years ago were telling the HSC or the Southern Health Board, look, there's massive potential in hospitals like Mallow to take a lot of people into their services and, you know, cure people or at least treat people. Uh, and there's a recognition, I think, in the last 10, 15 years, certainly, of that potential. And, and thankfully... You know, pilot schemes like this, if we can scale them up and scale them out so that there's a final recognition of hospitals like Mallow and Bantry to be able to deal with a lot of people uh, successfully uh, because of the expertise that exists within these hospitals, then, you know, start putting more resources into places like Mallow and start getting more consultants to start working in Mallow, uh, which they are doing in fairness to them, and start rotating more services out from the CUHs. You free up loads of capacity then in CUH. Yeah, and God knows your late father, um, Joe, uh, was shouting from the rooftops uh, about uh, Mallow Hospital and fought so hard for so uh, many years uh, to to keep the hospital. I'll I'll tell you a small story there, Patricia. I remember not long before he passed away. I remember having the conversation with him, like, what is it? What What does Mallow need? And he said, we need the day care services, the medical assessment unit, the endoscopy, day procedures, and we have that now. So, but now, like, we're always ambitious about Mallow because now we have the 42 beds being built out and we want to scale it on. And my ambition for Mallow would be that if we could have rehabilitative services in Mallow, if we could, where traumas happen, road traffic accidents and where there's, uh, you know, post-traumatic care like Dunleary, for instance, if we could provide some of that type of services in North Cork, in Mallow, that would be my ambition. What, what amazing. How amazing would that be? Well, How amazing would that be? Okay, and you know, and talking about CUH and what happened there uh, yesterday, you know, 1st of October is on Saturday. We're heading into the uh, winter months. Would you be fearful for our A&E departments as we, as we head into... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. To enter. I, I would because all of the virus-related, uh, you know, the, the winter flu, the virus-related illnesses now is going to, we know, going to increase the number of presentations to accident and emergency. And if you go back to what I was saying about the the lack of capacity for GPs now to be able to deal with the sheer volume of people that are coming to them, inevitably, and particularly for older and vulnerable people, you're going to have those presentations where a lot of, you know, those presentations will be via ambulance uh, uh, services. So what, what I'm not seeing is the evidence yet of the planning for winter. Uh, and so if you look at what's happening in CUH as we speak today, you layer on top of that all of the, the usual winter illnesses. And, you, you know, quite frankly, you're fearful about whether or not uh, the, uh, the, the the services will cope. And what I'm not seeing from Stephen Donnelly, and, and this is, again, is a bit of a missed opportunity, I thought, in the budget yesterday, uh, a day before yesterday, because I thought if I had that amount of money to play with and we have a shortage of nurses and doctors, I would have been using a good chunk of that money to say to nurses and doctors who are living in Australia and Canada and UK and say, look, we're going to, we're going to develop packages for you to bring you home, financial incentives to bring you home, to bring you back into our system. And I don't think anybody would have argued against the idea of creating financial but, but, incentives. But I, but I read in the paper today that the HSE is offering relocation packages of more than 4,000 to uh, health staff working abroad in, in a bid to try to get them back to come over here to yeah. work. Well, well, well you see, even if you tease that out, 4,000 euros is four months' rent, right? Now, 
in, in Dublin. It's not even four months' rent in Dublin. Like, I think what people want is the ability to be able to work in hospitals like, for instance, uh, Mallow uh, in, in, in Cork, you know, where, uh, you know, the, what I call the regional hospital structure. Uh, and you have to make the terms and conditions more favourable here than they are where they, where they are have decided to move to. And if we're really serious about bringing nurses and doctors home, like, I think we're going to have to bite the bullet. And I think the, the financial incentives are going to have to be greater than those which they receive where they are. Now, we will always need a cohort of people travelling because there's always a cohort that then comes back and brings with them the expertise that we need within our system. Uh, but if you look at the number of people, nurses travelling to, to Sydney, for instance, you know, where you have whole swathes of graduating classes gone. And I understand, because we've all travelled, we've all worked abroad, most of us, uh, and I understand that attraction you to do that as well. That's part of life and living. But, but I spoke to nurses recently, uh, and one of which said, there's no way am I coming home because you couldn't bring me home for love nor money because their the conditions of and their yeah. conditions, yeah, their the conditions of, of work and their opportunity to train, uh, to do extra training. They all talk about and the the ratio of patients to nurses much lower in Australia than it is here. Uh, absolutely. No, but you also have to be mindful of the nurses that are working in such atrocious conditions and doctors who are because, like I know, we have to do all of this. You know, government has to do all of this in the context of public sector pay deals. But I do honestly believe, and it's a personal opinion, that you can actually, where there is a massive shortage of skilled labour within the public sector or public services, that you can create a particular category, I think, of payment. Because at the end of the day, what is it that nurses and doctors bring to us? They, you know, are, are older people, you know, young people... They are intervening medically with our own sick people or with sick people who present to hospitals. They are curing them and they're getting them out the door. And what you do is you bring down the ratio of, we say, nursing staff to patient cohort. So you might, instead of a nurse maybe in CUH or CNM, dealing with having to deal with six or seven patients. And I don't know what the ratios are, to be honest with you, but I'm assuming it's somewhere like, somewhere up around that range. So instead of having to deal with somebody on a one is to eight basis, so it's one nurse looking after maybe five or six or seven patients, you might have one nurse looking after maybe one or two or three patients. And and, and, and that's where the pressure comes on nurses. But, you know, I do think, and again, as I say, it's a personal opinion. I would, if I was Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, if I was Minister for Health, I that's would be sitting down with the union. And I'd be saying, look, could we create a special category okay. to okay. incentivise And of course, as back. soon as we mention Mallow Hospital, I can see texts uh, coming in uh, from people. Somebody say, morning, Patricia. Uh, Mallow is an outstanding hospital. The medical staff are absolutely brilliant. But the only bugbear is parking is a bit of a disaster. And somebody else says, I've been a fairly regular patient at Mallow Hospital. And I think it's one of the best in the country. The doctors and the nurses are so caring. And somebody else says, if every town had a Mallow-type hospital, we'd have a much better health system okay that's just some of the many texts coming in and those comments I don't have to say it because the people who listen to your show will will say it Uh, it, like it is truly an excellent hospital the staff there are so invested in the hospital you know they they, the, the culture that exists within Mallow General Hospital is such that the minute somebody comes in the door it's like how can we care for you and how can we 
get the best intervention and for Long you. may it last. Uh, we leave it thank there, Sean. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Labour Adult Deputy for Cork East, uh, Sean Sherlock. 0818-103-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all time favourites from Clean Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10 a.m. Irish Sunday on C103. I'm going to abandon Garda Station for this week's Garda Fire, where I'm joined by Garda Francis Murphy. Good morning to you, Francis. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. And we start with a burglary that happened um, in the middle of the month in the Bantry area. Yeah, Patricia, the first instant here we'll talk today about is a burglary that occurred on the 15th to the 9th in the Bantry area. It was in a commercial premises. It occurred overnight. And basically an employee came into work in the morning, found the window broken, door had been unlocked and a quantity of cash was taken from the premises. Um, I suppose our advice there is to business premises, you know, to bear in mind, kind of up your security. If you haven't, you know, installed good alarms, good CCTV. And it's important that that this is done to, I suppose, prevent these things happening. Um there was a similar incident in the Bantry area as well a few weeks ago. Um, I think Sergeant Morgan O'Sullivan could have mentioned it previously, but very similar incident in a commercial premises and that time they gained entrance, um, through a rear entrance they gained entry. So just to advise people to be extra vigilant. Yeah, so alarms and good CC, CCTV is well worth the investment. But if anyone has spotted anything, uh, Bantry, Gardaí, 027-20860. Now, the theft of a horse in Dunmanway, we don't often get to report a uh, horse has been stolen uh, on the on the file. Not so much, um, Patricia. This is an unusual one. It occurred on the 20th of the 9th, um, going into the 21st. In this case, the owner arrived at his property on the 21st and he discovered his horse was missing. Um, all his gates had been opened and the horse had been removed from the property. It occurred probably between 3pm on the 20th of September and to 4.30 on the 21st. Um, very unusual. Um, I suppose... You know, this didn't happen without somebody seeing something you would be hoping, you know, a horse. You would assume, yeah, we assume transport, a horse box? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they obviously had to have some transport. So, again, we're appealing to anyone that did see anyone or any vehicle that wouldn't be frequented around the area just to contact Dunman my Garda station. Um, I might just give a description of the horse. Please there, do, yeah. It's, it's a horse, a trotting horse, four-year-old, um, red and white skew balls. Now, this horse is worth a considerable amount of money. So just, if anyone does come across a horse of that description or is offered sale or anything, just 
to notify Jermaine and my Garda station. Or saw anything on the 20th and 21st of uh, this month. And then a burglary in Mitchellstown, this time not in a house, but in a shed. Yes, this incident occurred in a shed where um, the injured party noticed that there was a wheelbarrow close to his property, but not where it should be. On checking his shed, he realised that several items were gone. Um, some of these items included power washer, chainsaw, strimmers, and also a quantity of horse feed. So obviously, you know, we take it that the, the wheelbarrow was used to transport the items from yeah. his shed to whatever vehicle was waiting by. There was no damage done, um, unfortunately. The shed was locked, unlocked in this case. Oh, so that in itself might have been somebody might have spotted that somebody with items inside in a wheelbarrow, you know, rolling it along and putting it into the back of a van or the back of a car. So if anybody saw anything there, that is the Mitchestown Gardaí. Now, th- this is a concerning one of somebody calling to the house of a female. Yeah, this is, I suppose, a typical example of an opportunist trying to take advantage of people. In this case, a female answered her door, Patricia, to an unknown male. It occurred about 11.15 in the morning time. Um, this gentleman proceeded to advise her that there were break-ins in the area and that he was checking up and that she might check her bedroom to make sure that all was correct. She took him by his word, unfortunately. She went to her bedroom to check that everything was okay. And on returning to the main door of the house, the gentleman had left, but he had gone through her purse that was on a nearby table and removed a quantity of cash from the same. God, you just, you've got to be so careful, don't you, about anybody uh, calling to your door. I mean, we're always warning people about, you know, unsolicited texts and unsolicited emails and calls, but equally unsolicited callers to your house. People just need to be really careful. Exactly, Patricia. And I suppose we would always, I would always advise people, you know, to look for identification, no matter who they're, posing to be a guard or somebody from the SB or Irish Water. Look for identification. Don't ever take anyone at face value, as honest as they might seem. You know, if you have any suspicions, do not engage with them. And obviously, always report any bogus callers to your local Gardaí. And genuine callers uh, who are representing the Gardaí or Irish Water or the ESP Networks or whoever, board gosh, have no problem with showing ID. I'm, and I've, I've, often I've heard them say they prefer if somebody looks for the ID so that they can prove who they are. Yes, Patricia, yeah. they're, they're obliged to carry ID. Yeah, yeah. And same, you know, if somebody's posing as an off-duty guard or as a plain clothes detective, they need to have their identification with them. Okay, more and more young people now are driving themselves to school. We know we've got the ongoing issue with the school bus and not everybody getting a seat on uh, the bus. You just want to give a little bit of advice to those young adults who are driving themselves to and from school. Yeah, this is something I just wanted to touch base with, you know, for parents maybe to pass on to their children as well. It's just something that comes up every year, you know, when it's back to school, and these are young adults, majority leaving cert that have passed their driving test and are driving to school in their own vehicles and parking up for the day. I suppose what I would say to them is just to have respect for themselves and other people around them. You know, take responsibility and be considerate. It causes a lot of issues with residents. So only park where you're permitted 
and obey the rules of the road. You know, you're responsible for your actions. And remember this when you're on the roads. Sometimes, Patricia, we'll get calls about, you know, behaviour in a car. But what the driver needs to remember, he's accountable for his passengers also. So just stay safe and be respectful to the residents. Okay, good advice. Good uh, good advice. And... I mentioned earlier, 1st of October is on uh, Saturday. There was already a nip in the air this morning. Winter is certainly coming. Just uh, quickly on road uh, safety, tyres and wipers. Yeah, just I suppose they're two of the main things. The winter is closing in. Weather conditions are changing. Road conditions are changing. So just everyone, just to check their tyres, that they're safe. And wipers are another very important thing, just to stay safe on the roads. And locking and securing oil tanks, Francis, this could be an issue going forward with the price of home heating oil. Home heating oil is still rising, so this is something I've been asked to mention again, Patricia. Just make sure you you know you've locks on your oil tanks. A good strong quality lock. You could set a perimeter alarm around the tank if you wish so. Sensor lights are a great thing to have around your fuel tank. You know, if somebody does try and interfere they'll come on. And the other thing some people do is maybe build another, like a storage cage around your tank Mm -hmm. so that people can't access the tank as easily. Yeah, and trying and trying if you can, where possible, to conceal the tank so it isn't as obvious, say, if you're passing the house exactly where your tank is. Yeah, it's, it's important where the location is, you know. Some people put it on the side of the road. It's convenient for themselves, but it's convenient for everyone else as well. And also, I suppose, you know, there's nothing like a good neighbour. We all need to keep a, an eye out for each other. And if somebody sees, you know, that they know that their neighbours are away or they're gone to work and the house is empty and they see something suspicious, get your, your phone out. We've all got cameras now on our phone. Take a picture of a suspicious vehicle. But contact the local Gardaí. Yeah, I would contact the local guardy. I wouldn't advise anyone to be putting pictures of cars up on social media. Absolutely or not. I'm, I'm, I'm saying just have the picture yeah. in case it's needed. But, exactly. but, uh, but call the, you know, if you see something suspicious, because it isn't the easiest thing to empty somebody's tank of petrol. So if, if you, if you see somebody acting suspicious, suspiciously, act as quickly as you can. Exactly. And what I always stress to people is don't be afraid to pick up the phone and ring the guards. You know, if it's a genuine person, then so be it. But there's no harm done. It's better to ring the guards and pass on the information. And at least then, if there is something going on, the guardy are aware of it. OK. All right. Good advice, as always, Francis. Thank you for that. Have a good week and thanks, thanks for joining much, us. Uh, good morning to you. That is Garda Francis Murphy, who is based out of Bandon Garda Station. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. On items that we have been discussing this morning, we started off this morning by talking about the levy on concrete products, which was introduced or announced in the budget on uh, Tuesday. And this is to raise funds to go towards the MICA redress uh, scheme. Pat, and I was making the point that it, it was one of those few things that just hadn't been leaked, probably the only thing that hadn't been leaked from the budget. Pat in Mahan says, people saying that there was no leak with regards to the concrete 
levy. He said, surely there was. The quarries must have known, as indeed, and others, as building materials has increased in price within the last two weeks and now we have this levy. Well, no. I mean, the prices going up is just to do with the, unfortunately, prices are going up across the building uh, industry because this levy, when it got announced on Tuesday, uh, Pat, it's not going to be introduced until April of next year. So it isn't that suddenly everything went up because of the levy, because the levy doesn't come in until next year. Uh, Dan says, Patricia, what is proposed for Mallow General Hospital? This is what we spoke with Labour Dole Deputy Sean Sherlock about in the last hour. Dan says this is a no-brainer. He said, isn't it amazing that after over 10 years of commentary on your programme and in other media outlets suggesting this, that they're only acting now with a pilot project, that if somebody ends up in an ambulance that they go to in the North Cork area that they go to Mallow Hospital first to see if they can be assessed and treated there rather than heading straight for the bottleneck that is unfortunately our A and E departments in the city. Uh, Dan says of course using Mallow General Hospital and likewise the people in West Cork, Bantry General Hospital, it will take heat off the A and E departments in Cork City. The population of Cork City and County is increasing all the time. We can't have two city hospitals catering for an entire county. We are the largest county in Ireland with a rising population base, according to Dan. If anything, the county should be divided two or three two or three ways to make it more feasible rather than, you know, funneling everybody into the city. It makes absolutely no sense to Dan. Thank you for that, Dan. And then when I mentioned rather tongue-in-cheek at the start of the programme about the poor old TDs and senators who are shivering in Leinster House because the powers that be in Leinster House have decided in a bid to show leadership and because of climate action uh, targets and because of the energy crisis, they're not putting the heating on in Leinster House until at least next Monday and that they're shivering and that if people were watching maybe on TV in the Dáil Chamber on Tuesday night, many of the TDs might have been okay during the day, but as they went into the evening time, probably with less and less people in the Dáil Chamber, you may have spotted some of the TDs had to wear coats, they had to put their overcoats on them because they were feeling the chill. And I was did anybody have sympathy for them? Uh, Michael says, with the salaries that they are on, surely they can well afford to buy thermal underwear and a fur coat for themselves. Anna in Clonakilty, having no sympathy, she says, now the people in the Dáil will realise what so many older people in rural Ireland will be feeling like this uh, winter. Many of them are afraid to burn anything to create a bit of heat for themselves, particularly those who live in areas where they only have an open fire, they don't have gas and they don't have of oil and with the price of a bag of coal they're afraid to even light a fire. That's from Anna in uh, Clonakilty. Someone else says let them buy thermals and hot water bottles and candles to keep themselves warm. I can't see any sympathy coming in for them at all. Some of your WhatsApps in on uh, this um, no, that's on the mic. Uh, let me see. Um, there was some in on um, one sec. Someone says, oh, oh, this is from Tim in Mallow Wonders. Was the heating on in the Dahl Bar? Uh, Patricia, I, well, I'm assuming if the heating goes on, it goes on in the entire building. I don't know if they, they can actually pick an area just to put the heating on and not to put the heating on. And someone else, Ed says, ah, Patricia, my heart bleeds for our politicians. I think the heating should be turned on when the fuel allowance 
allowance starts and turned off when the fuel allowance ends. Well, if that's the case, fuel allowance kicked in from this week, Ed, going on your say, that would mean that the fuel allowance should be in the, their heating uh, should be in place now. Thank you for all the texts coming in on uh, that. Just on also on the MICA redress and the levy that I spoke about, Sue was on to, to say, Patricia, I fail to see why the government is picking up the bill for MICA as the builders and suppliers, surely they should be the ones paying for it. They made their money out of building these houses. They conned these poor uh, people. Should we not be suing them instead? Uh, yeah, I've, I have to say I'm with you on that. I, can never un- I could never understand when the MICA crisis happened. You know, insurance and people take out insurance and bonds against, you know, builders and all that. I could never understand. Now, maybe, there, maybe there's none of those builders... Uh, still in business I don't know but I can never understand I don't see why the exchequer has to pick up the full bill which we're told when all of the remedial work is done it could be as much as 4 billion I don't think the people who are living in those houses that are affected by MICA should be just left with it though I I certainly don't agree with that but yeah I, I, I don't understand why the exchequer and the government and I I and you and I, basically all of us will end up funding it and future generations of people will end up funding it. And now certainly young people building or anybody building a home are the ones who are going to be paying for what happened with the MICA controversy. And as one person in the doll said, it's a penal imposition on young people trying to build or buy their first home. And it does seem very un- unfair that all the responsibility should fall to the exchequer. So yeah, I am with you for sure. Dan says, Patricia, this concrete levy, he feels is a red herring. He said, I guarantee you it will never happen. It is done to deflect attention from the actual shortcomings in the budget. How are all the producers and construction companies getting off scot-free? Surely they all had insurance. Yeah, there's somebody else saying there's got to be somebody, some other group should be picking up the cost of the remedial work that's needed. Thank you for that, Dan. Uh, what Texting 0862 Hi, Patricia. The, is the fuel allowance means tested i.e. how much money are you allowed to have in savings as a pensioner and that's from Margaret. Yes the fuel allowance is means tested but one of the really good things that got announced in the budget are the changes to the means testing for the fuel allowance and they reckon at least 80,000 people and I think it's in the main it's going to be older people will now be entitled to fuel allowance that hasn't been entitled before. Now remember the changes to the fuel allowance on the means testing doesn't kick in until January of next year so people have between and I need to get this checked whether people can start applying now or whether they're going to have to wait until January but from January the income threshold for the fuel allowance is changing and there's radical changes for anybody entitled to fuel allowance you can earn over what you're getting by way of your payment for example that's going up by 80 euro it's currently at 120 euro a week that's what you're allowed to earn over or by as an additional pension over say what you're getting in a state pension or what you're getting as a social welfare payment Uh, it's currently at 120 euro that's going up to 200 euro from January next but for people over 70 this is where the big difference is going to be it increases to 500 euro per week for a single person or a thousand euro per week for a couple from January and that means that a number of older people who have you know 
a, quite a small pension, but it put them over the limit because they were over that 120 euro a week mark. So certainly a lot of older people over 70 are going to suddenly realise that they're entitled to the fuel allowance. But as I say, it's not until January of 2023. But Margaret's question then is to do, do along with means testing, how much you can have in savings. And I've checked that for you. And when you're, the main items included for means test is, is the cash income that's coming into the house, but also capital, which that is your savings. And the first 20,000 euro of your savings is not taken into a- account. So you can have up to 20,000 in savings. And once you meet the other criteria for the, for the fuel allowance, uh, Margaret, uh, you or whoever you're contacting us about uh, will be entitled uh, to it. But big change is coming for anyone with the fuel allowance. And it's going to be particularly important to people who applied for fuel allowance in the past and were turned down because they were just over the limit they are the ones that were really going to have to get the message out to people that they are going to have to reapply because uh, as somebody asked yesterday will will because they now realise they're entitled to it will they automatically get it you won't unfortunately automatically get it you're going to have to apply for it 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county See corkcoco.ie. Words by Water. It's the Kinsale Literary Festival. It's running from today through to next Sunday, the 2nd of October. Bookings are open and the full programme can be seen on www.wordsbywater.ie. You can also contact Maureen by phone for further queries 086 289 5057. And the best of luck to Johnny Bongos and his Trad for Trocra Swan sessions. They're kicking off in the Russell Inn in Drumaham with special guest Hank Widell tonight. Then they continue tomorrow night, Friday, in the Gallery Bar in Mallow. Special guests Ilon Kjol. And then finishing up on Sunday in Ollie's, sorry, in Coley's Bar with special guest Alan Finn. All shows start at 9.30. There will be a raffle each night with all proceeds going to Trocra. Your support gratefully appreciated. And Ducas Conakilty Heritage, they've organised an illustrated lecture entitled A Cape Clear History Medley. It's at 8 o'clock tonight at the Conakilty GAA Pavilion. It's presented by Dermot O'Driscoll. Attendees are asked to be aware that COVID is still in the community and therefore please take all of the relevant precautions. And the annual Marymount Coffee Morning and Raffle will take place in the Goalpost Bar, Shanagari, tomorrow morning from 10am to 12.30pm. Music and entertainment provided by Podrick Parker. Donations can also be made through their iDonate page, Shanagari Annual Marymount Fundraiser. Please contact Carrie for any further queries, 086 375 Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Just on the fuel allowance, somebody says, Patricia, I think you must apply for the fuel allowance before the 30th of September. The 30th of September is tomorrow. Yeah, that's for this year's uh, fuel allowance. What I was referring to was the changes in the means test for people who are this year not entitled to the fuel allowance 
but when the new means test kicks in at the start of January 2023 they'll, they'll be entitled to it so they, they won't get the payment between now and Christmas but they will get it into the new year but yes anyone who's entitled for this year needs to apply before uh, tomorrow for sure and then just stay on fuel allowance because a Bantry listener says uh, Patricia uh, good morning to you could you find out when will the additional fuel allowance and living alone allowance this is the one off payments uh, when are they going to be uh, paid it is going to be in December the one off payment of 200 euro this is the extra bonus that got announced in the budget to uh, recipients of the living alone allowance that's going to get paid they're just saying before Christmas so sometime in December and it's the same for anyone who currently has the fuel allowance there will be an additional this is an additional lump sum payment of 400 euro and again we're told that's going to be paid before Christmas but I don't have a specific date they have given a date for the Christmas bonus the double payment for social welfare recipients and that's going to be given out in the first week of December but as of now they're just saying the additional payment for the living loan allowance and the additional fuel allowance payment will be given out before December when we get any more dates on that we certainly will bring it to you so uh, stay tuned as they say and then I was surprised to hear this somebody says Patricia why is it so hard to switch from Ulster Bank to any other Irish bank my daughter is trying and they just won't allow her to open up a bank account I really am surprised to hear that because on the last ad break there was even we're, we're constantly running ads for Ulster Bank saying they're very close to to closing and been done and dusted and gone out of this country encouraging people if you haven't switched to another bank to get moving and to get moving quickly so I really am surprised to hear that your daughter is having such problems has anybody else had problems um, or has anybody else found an easy way to switch to close one bank account which this lady's daughter must do because Ulster Bank is going to be gone to move to one of the other uh, banks who found what was the easiest bank uh, to move to if if anybody has any information on that uh, we'd love to hear from you 0818 103 103 We've been talking and mentioning as part of the budget about this, the vacant, the new tax that's coming in, the the vacant property tax, and it'll be paid at a rate of three times the local property tax, wherever that house is. Now, it is going to be, you're going to have to self-declare it, and it's a vacant house. A lot of people were worried that it meant their, their second home, their holiday home was going to be cut with this vacant tax. But once you're in the house for at least 31 days in a calendar year, and most people who've got a holiday home will spend more than 31 days in their holiday home. Many people will move to a holiday home, say, for most of the summer. They might go down there at Easter, they might go at Christmas, they might go for St. Patrick's Day. So I think for most people who've got a holiday home, they're not going to be affected but for, for people who, who don't, are not in the house for, for under 31 days and they certainly are going to have to pay this um, additional vacant, vacant tax. But somebody has pointed out that if the majority of the vacant homes tax surely are going to be owned by the council people are saying that there's lots of across this is across all of the country it's not just here in Cork people are always identifying houses that are empty and their council properties well Breda has uh, sent me in a uh, photograph of this is in a, a town in in the county 
where she says there are two fine houses vacant and have been for the last uh, 20 years 20 years at least by the council and that just I'm scratching my head when I hear things like that to, to hear that there are still properties that are lying idle when so many people are desperate for homes so I don't know when somebody says will the council have to pay the vacant property tax I don't know I mean I, I, I read I didn't read anywhere that they will be they will have to pay it or not but lots of people are pointing out saying that there are council houses vacant and if there is a vacant property tax that surely the council should be pay, paying it uh, as well. Hi Patricia, is there any update on the €1,000 pandemic payment? God, this pandemic payment, will it ever be paid? I don't have an update but what I did read earlier this morning in the papers that an alliance of seven health units unions have decided to get together to do something about it and they're now calling on the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly to intervene in the delays in giving this pandemic recognition payment to non-HSE staff. The bonus of €1,000 it was announced in January. Do you know something? I can see us celebrating the first anniversary of that announcement and we'll still have people contacting us saying they haven't uh, received it. HSE officials addressing delays at the Oireachtas Health Committee yesterday were still unable to give a date of when the payment will open for the external staff. Now, potentially, there's thousands of people. They include nurses, they include healthcare assistants, cleaners, there's clerical staff are entitled to it, there's social care assistants, there's porters, there's security staff, they're all waiting uh, for their €1,000. This is money that they are entitled to. Unions uh, say that the, the government made this announcement and when they made the announcement back in January it was so supposed to be a good goodwill gesture 36 weeks have passed and they've provided absolutely no mechanism to pay the workers who played a key role in the protection of the state very much in our hour of need particularly in the early days of the pandemic now the outgoing HSE chief executive officer Paul Reid he was quizzed about this during that health committee uh, session and he did say that 123,000 HSE staff have received their payment and we're delighted that the HSE staff have received uh, their payment but he then went on to say that work is continuing to ensure that everyone who is eligible will receive this uh, bonus. The HSE's line of defence is that they need more support and because of that they've pushed the support that they need out to tender. They need a company to come in and do the work for them. They say they can't do it themselves. External staff details are not stored in the HSE's payroll system so they're saying that's why it wasn't a simple thing of hitting a button and paying everybody on the payroll and they said because of that they've had to now bring they've put out to tender an outside company who will come in and do the work for them. They say it was easy easy for the directly employed staff. They would have had all of their details on payroll, but they don't have the other the details of the other people. So they're now saying, this is the HSE, that once the third party provider that is going to assist the HSE is in place, they say they will then start to make the payments as soon as possible. And I know, uh, which is one of the unions that represents some of the, those healthcare workers, they're making the point, and a point that we've made on this programme uh, before, what was meant to be a payment to show respect to 
to healthcare workers has proven to be the very, very uh, opposite. And the good and the shine has almost been taken off this payment. So let's just keep our fingers crossed that they will get a company in, a third party provider in, who will do the work and do the work as quickly as possible. And that the people that are entitled to that €1,000 pandemic bonus payment will get it. And will get it certainly before the close of this year. It would be dreadful. It would be dreadful if, if we're here a year on from the anniversary of the announcement of the bonus payment which was accepted really well and you know people thought this is a great idea we were all out clapping for our healthcare workers at some stage during the pandemic and they needed more than claps and they needed more than pats on the back everybody there was you know there was very few people saw anything wrong with paying the healthcare workers this €1,000 but it's just shameful that here we are 36 weeks later and for many of them they haven't received a red cent of it. 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 We are particularly looking for your pet questions please because Jane Pickett our resident vet is going to be joining us in a couple of minutes so if you have any pet questions get them into us now please I can put your questions to Jane. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Jane Pick, Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, uh, joins me on this Thursday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Pet questions uh, coming into us uh, to John Paul, 0818 103 103. And you can also uh, text, I can see texts and WhatsApps coming into 0862 103 103. Okay, let's start with Nula in Rochester, who was a Bichon freeze neutered five-year-old. He has begun limping just on one leg. We don't think it was an injury, but there does seem to be a small lump appearing on one of his joints. What could that all be about? Okay, that's interesting. So a limp will generally be an indicator of discomfort or pain in dogs. Um, Sometimes they, I suppose, the classic things that we think of when we interpret pet pain is kind of yelping or whinging, but really 99% of the time, pets are a lot more silent than that. They're a lot more guarded. They tend to try and hold, like um, hide their pain essentially, because that's how they are kind of evolutionarily built. So normally when they're limping, they are painful. Now, the swelling or the little lump that's appeared on the joint is most likely a joint swelling. Now, little lumps and bumps and bone growths are also possible, but in in a relatively young dog are less likely. And if this if the if the kind of limping started all of a sudden, it could well be swelling, so swelling of the joint fluid. So inside in our joints, we have lots of really clever things that help our joints to keep moving despite the pressure we put on them. So we have cartilage, which kind of acts like cushioning, so that every step we take, that takes a little bit of the force. So sometimes they can have damage to the cartilage, and that way it means that the force that's going through the leg as they walk is a little bit more uncomfortable. 
And also we have some fluid in there. So it's actually really normal for us to have fluid inside in our joints in normal amounts. And that kind of provides another lubricating cushioning effect so that as we move the limb and the joint can move really freely and it absorbs some of the pressure. So sometimes when we see lumps or bumps on or over a joint, sometimes it can be a buildup of fluid and it almost begins to bulge. So that would be one of the more common things if there's a problem with that joint. But as I say, lumps and bumps of the bone itself are possible as well but less frequent i would say for this little dog if it's limping and even though you can't think of an injury that might have happened dogs are crafty little creatures they can get up to all sorts when we're not looking so an injury is possible i would say you need to bring your dog along to the vet and when you go to your vet just have a think before you go about how long it's been going on what you guys were doing as regards walking and activity and playing with other dogs in in the days and let's say week before it started just so that'll be able to give your vet a little bit more information about what might likely have happened and i'm sure your vet will take a really good look at the limb um, and it may be the case that your vet might recommend further tests so they may recommend something like an x-ray and that's a really good imaging tool that allows us to see the the bones and the joints really really well but your vet will let you know after examining your pet what's the most appropriate course of action but best of luck with that i think a, a visit to your trip a trip to your vet is in order okay i don't know if you remember to do this or not but a lady uh, one of our listeners said i contacted you about a fortnight ago about peppermint oil around my doors i want to spray it to deter spiders but i'm worried about my cats uh, jane was going to check out whether it was poisonous for cats or not apologies if i missed the answer but i didn't hear last week's uh, segment did you ever uh, get to check that? I did. Yeah. I, I checked it up. Really, really toxic for cats. Ah. Not what I would recommend. Um, its efficacy in keeping spiders away is a little bit dubious too. So what I'd say is to be safe if you have cats around, I would really, really try and stay away from peppermint oil. Um, I suppose as for getting rid of the spiders, that's not my, my area of okay. expertise. But in keeping the cats safe, it's not something I would risk them getting into contact with. Um, so even if you're putting it on the inside of your door as you open and close the door obviously it will spread it around a little bit and obviously you will have contact with it as you move through the door and I assume you probably have contact with the cats so it may be indirect that they might have contact with it even if it is just in in the door frame itself but I would say that it will be safest not to go down that route from a cat safety point of view. Okay well done well done. Hi Patricia and Jane I have a three year old hen with sour croup she was recovering well but she's now lost a lot of weight. Is there any food I can give her to help her put back on some of that weight? I am planning on bringing her to the vet if she doesn't improve. Okay. I would say if she's not putting back on weight, go to your vet and get her assessed. With chickens, I suppose I'll put my hands up and say they're not my area of expertise. What I do know about chickens is they're not the most resilient creatures. If they've been unwell and they're struggling to recover, it's really best to try and get veterinary attention early so that you can intervene and assess if there's anything underlying going on that might be stopping them recovering fully. And also, if you if you contact a vet that is experienced with chickens or is happy happy to deal with that species, they'd be able to best guide you as to what diet from a recuperation point of view would be appropriate. But I'm afraid, not my area of expertise, and I wouldn't like to lead you lead you astray. 
Okay, Breathe in Mallow is the lady who's been on to us for the last number of weeks because she's been doing the trap, neuter and uh, release on uh, uh, feral cats in her garden. She wants to know, she said, could you please ask Jane if neutered cats can still mate? I know it sounds like a silly question, but the little feral female I trapped about three weeks ago, I've only seen her come back for food maybe once or twice. She's now a nervous wreck. And and when she did come back, she has been attacking her kittens who are living in my garden. By the way, the feral male cat that I fed for at least five years is kinder to the kittens. He isn't neutered as I feel he's too old now. Okay, so go on the female cat first. They they don't still mate once they've been neutered. Mm, it's less it's less likely okay um after they've been neutered they won't be able to get pregnant yeah um is what i will say um cats i suppose they can still mate and be seen to be mate but they don't really have the kind of hormonal drive to get involved in that business okay um so it is rare possible but if they have been spayed they won't be able to get pregnant which is good news for the the feral cat population as regards her being a little bit nervous it is quite natural and we see that quite a lot with let's say trap neuter release schemes um that after they have been neutral sometimes they can be a little skittish for a few weeks but they soon settle down and settle back into routine um, but obviously for a, a semi-feral cat you know being taken out of their environment to to be neutered it's a really great thing to do for the feral feral cat population which is exploding as we speak so it's really really important to do but it is a i suppose it is a big change for them particularly when they're probably not used to a lot of human contact so it's it's necessary it's really beneficial but it can make them a bit skittish for a few weeks but but they will settle down now the male cat at five is, is is that too old for neutering no, not too no. old for neutering at all. Um, no. Provided he's otherwise healthy in himself, I would say the best thing to do would probably be to get that little boy neutered. Um, I'd say, you know, it's never really too late to neuter, particularly in a feral cat population, because he will probably be out and about meeting lots of lady cats. So whatever you can do to, to reduce the exploding cat population is, is a great thing. And I'd say at five, he's he's not too old. As and if you've got, as well. and if the kittens are living in the garden, they'll be the next, you know, exactly. with, with that male. Yeah. So yeah, so, so so get moving on that. Okay. Um, Danny uh, is, is planning this weekend to introduce a three-month-old kitten to what he describes as a pampered Cocker Spaniel, a two-year-old. Will they eventually get on? He's planning on them both being indoor pets. Um, yes, I would say they'll most likely adapt to each other. They may not be keen on the idea, particularly the the dog in the household that's kind of the established pet may not be so happy about the, the new arrival to begin with. I think the really key thing in introducing a new pet, particularly kind of a, a new pet that's young and small and a bit more fragile into a house with an already established pet is to really take it slow. I, I really think that there's a lot of temptation to, you know, just, you know, put them in together and expect them to be the best of friends straight away. And, and that's not realistic. It's going to take a few months for everything to settle down. And I really think that the main thing I would say is just make sure your kitten is really, really safe, supervised and very gradual play. I probably wouldn't let them come into contact, like physical contact with each other at all for the next three or four weeks. I would let them see and smell each other from far away, probably even for the first week. Just have the kitten in the house and don't try and make any any introductions just yet really patience is the way to go and just making sure they're both safe and um, particularly if the existing dog is not particularly used to cats which we don't know in this situation but that would make things a little bit more difficult but what i would 
really urge is just absolute patience. This is going to take a while. They won't be the best of friends straight away. It'll take a little while for them to to find their little groove and and to tolerate and potentially be friends by the end of it. Because the kitten can also do damage to the dog, even if the dog is very placid. Like the kitten can scratch. Exactly, they can do. And I think particularly young kittens, they... And most of them haven't really learned social cat manners by the age of age of three or four months. So they have a little bit of learning to do as well. So they can be unpredictable and little flighty creatures as well. Um, so from both sides, yes, indeed, a bit of a danger to each other. So I think really just respecting their boundaries and giving them adequate time to kind of acclimatise to each other without pressuring them into contact is, is really the safest way but to many, go. But many do get on and, and it can be a wonderful yeah. relationship between dogs and cats, I'd say. It can be really gorgeous. Absolutely. All right, Jane, as always, thank you for that and uh, we'll chat to you again next Thursday brilliant thank you very much good afternoon that is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group just to finish up on some of your uh, texts uh, coming in to the listener who was saying her daughter was having problems moving from the Ulster Bank somebody says Trish I found the girls in Bank of Ireland in Mallow extremely helpful and somebody else is saying tell that listener's daughter to call in in person Uh, the banks all of the bank staff are well trained up and they're well used to people coming in uh, particularly people coming from Ulster Bank now that that bank is no longer going to be here so I don't know if where our listener was texting from and has her daughter called into a bank or has she been trying to do it all online or is she trying to do it all over the phone but people are saying call in in person Hi Patricia the increase of 12 euro a week to be paid out to old age pensioners when are we to receive that please don't say we're going to have to wait until next March I hope not well no but you will have a wait the 12 euro increase for old age pensioners and indeed for everybody on social welfare that is kicking in in January don't have a date in January uh, yet and hi Patricia listening to your programme as usual I'm 64 I'm living on disability allowance uh, but today had to buy a bottle of gas for my heater it cost me 38 euro that means I no longer have money for food for today. It's a joke, really, in my opinion. Uh, those warm TDs in their heated bars and homes, do they really think about people and how bad we are struggling? Thanking you. Goodness me. Ah, that's hard to hear, isn't it? OK, that's where I've got to leave you. Thanks to John Paul. Nick is with you for the afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Work today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.